Welcome back, everyone. Wow, what a fabulous, fabulous hour right here on the Dr. Pat Show. I want to remind everyone on Touch That Dial because Carrie O'Connor is coming up at the top of the hour. Carrie O'Connor, what do you think? You think that might be a little St. Patty's Day, Carrie? I hope she's I wearing some. It's a green her. up in there. The we'll little leprechaun her. herself. The O'Connor. Uh, absolutely. Uh, well, my guest today is uh, answering uh, the call of many of us that are sitting here with an idea or many ideas and have people saying, where's the book? When are you going to get the book out? Write the articles. Well, Charles Atkins joining me here today. He knows quite a bit about writing. And he's joining us here today to talk about the art of writing and the business of getting published. And he says they are two very different animals. Now, for many of you, uh, you may have uh, or, or may be familiar with his, his worth, work. He is the author of the Bipolar Disorder Answer Book and much more. And so today we're talking with him about writing and much more so charles thank you for joining us today glad to be back all right this writing stuff i mean people are like okay i have a book inside me i don't know how to get it out or i've gotten it out and now i don't know what to do with it i mean you have learned this through your own journey what is it that you have learned about writing that uh you'd like to share with our listeners and that you didn't expect to learn well, there's a whole lot of stuff, and usually when people come up to me after I've given a talk and they say just what you said, you know, I have a book inside of me and I really want to get it out there, the first question is, do you write? Are you setting apart time every single day to write? Because one of the truisms for writers is writers write. Mm. And a lot of people I know want to write, but if you don't actually sit your butt down in a chair, it's not going to happen. And most writers I know who are successful have time every single day when they write, and it's usually at the same time. So it's developing a writing habit. So even if you're not working on a book, or I'm not working on a book, every single day at usually 5 o'clock in the morning, I'm writing. And so this is not a question of, are you writing well? Do you think you could write? This is simply a matter of putting it to practice, whether it's 5 o'clock in the morning or 5 o'clock at night or whenever that is, you know, the question is, are we taking the time to just sit down and put ourselves in front of a computer or a piece of paper and a pen? But the point is to write. Which gets to the next piece when you said, is it good or not? A lot of people, and I've done a number of writing seminars, and I, I find it fun to sit down with people who don't think they write well and you can very quickly show that most people can actually write extremely well. And there's a couple little tricks to do it. And by being able to do these things, and no, I had not written a book on writing, although down the road it could happen, um, I never get writer's block because there are a couple basic things when I'm creating a new piece of writing that I don't edit. That when I'm writing something for the first time, I just get it down on a piece of paper. And there's something about doing that where you shut down the critical mind that what comes out comes out with a lot of passion and fluidity. And then the other thing that goes along with shutting up the editorial mind is if something inside of you feels uncomfortable or painful, that's where you should probably go with your writing. Because inside of that may be something very, very powerful. So when I start a novel, and right now I have four psychological thrillers out there. I have another one that's coming out 
uh, that's coming out first in the UK in June and will be in this country in September, is oftentimes when I start a book, it's coming from someplace extremely personal. For the bipolar book, uh, which was my first nonfiction book, it was my editor or my agent said he has a publisher who wants a book on bipolar, and it just so happens I'm from a family with bipolar. You know, I'm a psychiatrist, so I work with a lot of people with bipolar, and I was able to put a great deal of myself and my own experience, my family's experience, into writing that book. So after writers write and don't edit, it really is about finding what it is you want to write. What do you feel passionate about? So when I'm writing a novel, uh, my first novel had a hero who had um, bipolar disorder, and it's a mainstream psychological thriller, but I wanted to really have a person with a serious mental illness be my hero so that the reader could have an experience of what it's like to become manic or psychotic or even suicidal, which when you start bridging from the art of writing into the business, it just so happened that I sent it to an agent who had had, and this is a terrible thing, but she'd had two clients with bipolar disorder kill themselves. Oh, wow. And so she read the manuscript for the portrait, which was my first novel, which was very amateurishly written, which I didn't know at the time. And she said, there's something in here that I really, really love, but if you want a mainstream novel, pull some books off your shelf and see how people handle dialogue. Because I had written the whole thing in first-person, present tense. Mm -hmm. I see, I feel, whereas pretty much every mainstream novel is third-person, past tense. And so her comment was, if you want an experimental novel, go ahead and do this and maybe we'll get a sale. But if you want it mainstream, look at some of the conventions and see how you can keep the immediacy of that first-person dialogue. Um, but have it be somewhat more recognizable for the reader, which is really one of the next things, is that if you want to publish, you're always writing for someone. You're writing to someone. You're telling a story, and you really need to think of who is going to be, you know, sitting at home reading this book or this article or, you know, pulling this book off a shelf to get information. I mean, this is what we're talking about. It sounds to me like the advice that you were given is don't reinvent the wheel, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, take a look and see what's going on. And uh, that, that is a great place to learn. And so, you know, when you, when you, did you go, you obviously you went and you did that. Oh, absolutely. How was that for you to make that kind of shift? You put your ego on hold. Again, switching from the art of writing where it's soft and I don't edit to going into the business realm where you're looking at agents and publishers, you really need to listen to good criticism people have to say. And I kind of store up the advice like little nuts and berries. Um, one of the best pieces of advice I got was early on in my career, I had written a draft of the portrait and I went to you know, some kind of mystery writer convention in New York and I met Otto Pemsler, who was the founder of Mysterious Press, uh, which is two big stores, uh, one in San Francisco, one in New York. And he ran his own publishing house, which the publishing house, I believe, was bought up by a, a larger publishing house. Anyway, his comment to me was, in the 20 years I ran this press, I would read books 
some authors who didn't have an agent, but I never once published one. Wow. Exactly. Wow. Which, that was a piece of advice that made me think, okay, stop going to publishers, find an agent. And for most writers, although, you know, there are publishers that will take um, manuscripts that come without an agent, most really want that first cut to be done through an agent because increasingly agents do what publishers used to do in terms of developing talent, developing writers, developing books. Most publishers don't have the time for that. The monetary screws are a little too tight. And, you know, I mean, that's an incredible lesson in itself. When we come back, we'll be talking to Charles about what that means to find an agent, why that's important, and what next steps every one of us can take to get our thoughts from our mind to a paper and how to come over the obstacles, because, you know, get past the obstacles of that, well, let's call it what it is, that reject letter. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. thought that I was the only one who cared about things that matter to me like the planet, kids, education, peace, and creating a world that works for everyone. Then I found the Center for Spiritual Living, an entire church that thinks and cares about the things I do. And Reverend Dr. Kathy Ann Lewis inspires us to build better lives in a better world. I've found my new spiritual home. Honoring all paths to God, the Center for Spiritual Living is located just east of University Village on Sandpoint Way with three Sunday services. Visit online at spiritualliving.org. Why do people travel across the globe to see Dr. Nusheen Darvish at the Holistic Medical Center in Bellevue? Is it her specialization in women's health, allergies, and chronic illness? Is it because she founded a uniquely comprehensive, integrative clinic for cutting-edge, non-invasive, and FDA-approved therapies that improve the health of all patients? Yes, it is. Find out for yourself. 425-451-0404. That's 425-451-0404. Your power with your passion, your life with your vision, and your spirit with your mission. Dr. Lisa Cooney will help you learn to co-create life you want and deserve. She'll empower and affirm you both professionally and personally. Dr. Cooney will teach you how to live your life being balanced in mind, body, and spirit. Tune in to Cultivating Presence, the Psychology of Soul with Dr. Lisa Cooney, Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific. Listen live at thedrpatshow.com. Are you one of the millions of frustrated people who can't take off weight or keep it off on a low-fat or low-calorie diet? It's hard, isn't it? Well, don't despair another day. The Sugar-Free Miracle Diet is the answer to your prayers. I'm Karen Bentley, and I lost 130 pounds on this program. I'm also the founder and CEO of the Sugar-Free Miracle Diet Company. Go to SugarFreeMiracle.com, that's SugarFreeMiracle.com, and get started today. How can you work in harmony and prosper with the universe? Find out each week on the radio show, Cosmic Connections with Madeline. Brought to you by the Dr. Pat Show. Every Friday at 10 a.m. on KKNW 1150. Internationally known astrologer Madeline Gerwick brings you tips, tools, and answers to your questions. Check the show topics at PolarisBusinessGuides.com. That's PolarisBusinessGuides.com. Tune in Fridays at 10 a.m. to Cosmic Connections with Madeline. So you can prosper with the universe. 
From a place of special energy, the Sedona tools are specially crafted to work with the disruptive emotional energies of traumatic experience. You can release and resolve the past, move gracefully through the present, and attract the future you wish with power that's already yours. Your intent and creative visualization. Now work with the right tools. Visit thesedonatools.com. Click the show's page on 1150kknw.com for the scoop on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. everyone welcome back to the dr pat show you know rejection 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 what does that mean anyway i mean you could look at it from the point of view of asking somebody out on a date right benny and them saying probably Maybe. either yes or no <laughs> i know or you could look at it like i did i mean you know getting all those letters from schools where i applied for a doctoral program you know it was like one right after the other and so what do you do when you've now poured your guts out in the book that you think is the next new york times best-selling book and you've got it out there and you've done everything charles is saying to do today and you get the letter Charles, welcome back. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Glad to be here. The letter. The rejection letter. That letter. Um, a funny thing happened to me is a couple books back for me, I wrote this book I really love called Cadaver's Ball. It took forever to get it published. St. Martin's picked it up, and then, unbeknownst to me, it came out in hardcover. Um, I'm zipping around on Amazon one day, and sure enough, it's just been re- released as a mass market paperback, which is always fun because authors are always the last to know, you know, about your book cover and all this stuff. So I didn't realize the book was coming out as a paperback. Of course, I'm happy. So I called up the paperback book company, which was different from St. Martin's. It's a company called Dorchester Publishing Leisure Books. And these are the kind of books you buy at the airport. They're your basic pocketbook. So I called up the company and I said, you know, hi, you don't know me. I was just wondering, by any chance, are you publishing one of my books? And the lady on the other end said, why, yes, we are. Which got me into a discussion with the editor who had picked up the book from St. Martin's, a man named Don Doria, who is a top-level senior editor who does about six books a month that he'll greenlight. So this is somebody working in specific genres in his case, thrillers, and I think he also does historic fiction like Western. And he's just going through a lot of books every single day. Um, when I finally went to visit him, his office, like most New York publishers, is just you know stockpiled with packages arriving every day with manuscripts. And at the time, I was doing a weekly column with a friend of mine who's also a writer. And so I figured, let's interview Don and find out what makes a book get greenlit, which is a real long-winded way of getting to your question about rejection. Uh-huh. He said something that I thought was golden, which completely took the whole personal side of rejection out of it. He said, getting a book published is three things. It's getting the right book to the right editor at the right time. Mm. If you don't have all three of those things, it won't happen. Not because it's a bad book, but because 
for whatever reason, this is not the time, the editor, the publishing house, for this book. And he gave a couple of examples how after 9-11, all of these sort of doomsday thrillers that were circulating were dead. No one would touch them. So it wasn't that they suddenly were not interesting books or exciting books, but that the time was wrong. And so, you know, taking that little twist on it is just, okay, this wasn't the right book for this person at this time. Beyond that with rejection is when you get rejection letters back, look for anything personal about them. See if the door's been left open. So, um... There have been publications I've wanted to write for who they might have liked the article, but it's not right for them at that time, yet they say, please send something later. And I've definitely followed that up and subsequently have had articles published in those magazines. Um, Similarly, one of my first rejection letters, the editor wrote back, this was for my very first manuscript, he wrote back, this is very unprofessionally formatted, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, which other than seventh grade girls, I don't know anyone who uses three exclamation marks, but it did get me to go and look at books on manuscript formatting, and in fact, I had completely done it wrong. And so that was a lesson about when you get something to send to a publisher, make sure it's laser printed, double spaced, make sure you have the header right, the page number in the right place the word count, all of this kind of stuff that lets an editor know or an agent know you're not an amateur. So, I mean, these are things that we could learn on our own as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and these are the details for us to really pay attention to on on how to do those first steps. And, you know, what you said is important. I mean, what kind of feedback can you get out of a letter that will help you the next time around? Um, there was a question that had come up from one of our listeners uh, in anticipation of this, and I wanted to ask you. Mm-hmm. And, and the question was, um, I was told a long time ago that you only send out one proposal at a time, that you don't send your book proposal to one publisher and at the same time send it to another. Now, is this true? And I wanted to ask you, Charles, is that true? Or uh, if you're getting an agent, the agent handles all of that. Well, it's both true and not true, is whenever you send something out, you're very upfront about this is a, um, <laughs> the word is leaving me, you're the only one getting a copy of Exclusive. this. Exclusive. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Having a yeah. stroke here. Yeah. <laughs> or you can send out multiple submissions at the same time, but in the last sentence of that query letter, which should never be more than a page long, uh-huh. you're going to say this is not an exclusive submission. And that pretty much lets people know what's going on. Now, some agents, some publishers only wanted exclusive. And so you should find out in advance. And a way to do that is either by going on their website or getting a copy of Writer's Marketplace and seeing, you know, does this magazine agent publisher accept simultaneous submissions or not? And so that's important to find out because, you know, can't you pretty much tick somebody off right out of the gate? Oh, yeah, and I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I had, I, you know, talking about magazines I really wanted to get in is Writer's Digest is the biggest, you know, magazine for writers. And so I had sent them a article, and I hadn't heard back from them for months. So I figured that they were passing on it, and I sent, them, sent it to someone else who immediately picked it up. 
And that same week, I got the acceptance from Writer's Digest. And so it was one of those horrible situations. Do you go with the person who asks you out, or do you go with the person you want to go out with? It was a real Brady Bunch moment. Needless to say, I went with with Writer's Digest. <laughs> that is a, an interesting question. Uh, and, you know, I shared the story of getting all those rejects letters back from doctoral programs. What's interesting about that whole journey is that the acceptance, the letter that I got that actually accepted me into program was the school that I actually wanted. It was my first choice. And so some people have said to me, well, why did you bother? And so that's an interesting question. I mean, Charles, why do we bother? What is the best approach for people um, uh, that are listening to the show, that have something to say, what is the first thing you would tell them to do right now, beyond sitting down and actually writing? Once it's down on a piece of paper, you begin showing it to people who first will be encouraging, because you don't want to get yourself shut down out of the gate, and then begin showing it to people who have some professional eyes. And then actually send it out, or send out a, a proposal or a query letter, and see if you can get someone who will take a look at it. And that's, you know, really a good way to go. If you're looking to get a book published, you know, talking about the query letter, the first paragraph of a query letter is basically, you know, some sort of sizzling statement about why this is the best book out there. So I have a sister who writes for the Wiley Dummy series. She does taxes for dummies and also has some other books. So um, she does a lot of taxes for estate planning. And so I gave her a line about, you know, as someone who does taxes for the dead, I have some information for the living. You want to catch someone's eye. The second paragraph is your credential, which if you don't have any writing credentials, I'd recommend get some small pieces of writing published. This could be in your local newspaper, op-ed pages, But at least get something where you can either have clips or you can say, you know, I've had pieces published in X, Y, and Z. And that helps. And so you're putting all these things together to sort of make yourself into not just having a sellable book, but also why you as the author. So, you know, for Dr. Pat, why Dr. Pat as the author of a book on leadership is absolutely the only person who can be writing this book, which is going to make it a bestseller. Wow. Well, thank you, Charles, so much for joining us today. What a fabulous, fabulous show. Thank you so much. I learned tons. I can't wait to get started. All right, everyone, don't touch that dial. Carrie O'Connor coming on right now. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Bigger, bigger.